Thanks for joining us. You're about to listen to another Sunday worship service from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. Hi, I'm Pastor Amy. You may have been wondering where was worship on Sunday, July 24th. Well, we had a power outage, and so we were unable to record or live stream worship that Sunday. But we want to still bring some elements of the service to you. Uh, as we have been doing throughout uh, the summer on our On the Road Again uh, worship series, we have for you um, a clip that Pastor Megan did of where she finds God on the road. We'll share also with you about the missionary visit that we had uh, and about uh, that time with them, the time of sharing. And of course, we have a scripture for you that was done by the Reed family uh, in Canada uh, at their uh, vacation place there, and then the sermon. And we hope these elements will uh, bring you peace and enable you to worship this week. Hey y'all, Megan Walther here. I'm in the library. Um, when I go on a road trip, one of the first things that I do in a new place, well, first I look for the United Methodist Church, and then second, I love to walk through new libraries. There's something for me that's sacred about walking down these rows of books and knowing how many words I have access to, how many stories I can read how many uh, things I can learn that have been written down by others. For me, the experience is almost akin to walking into a grand cathedral. There's a sense of awe and a sense of beauty. And for me, there's something spiritual about that, about walking through books, about holding a book in my hand, about um, reading somebody else's story. So for me, that's where I find God on the road. On Sunday, we shared about a visit we had a few weeks ago with Dr. Lester and Debbie Doman, who are missionaries in Nepal. They shared with us about their work in the hospital there, a hospital that they have supported over these past 10 years. Uh, Dr. Lester has equipped and taught uh, the nurses and the doctors and the staff there, and they have created a wonderful health facility for the people in that area. They shared with us, we had a wonderful meal together. We had about 50 people from the church come out and listen. And this is all thanks to your generosity. Thank you for uh, making this possible. As I said on Sunday, I'm not able to go to Nepal and stay there for 10 years and do the missionary work. That's part of what I love about being the United Methodist Church is that I can give my gifts and that helps ensure the people in Nepal have the health care that they need. So thank you for your generosity. And if you'd like to make a gift, you can text to give. You can send your offering in the mail. You can go online at clarkstonumc.org slash give. All of those ways you can send in your offering. Thank you for your generosity. 
Hi, I'm Mark Reed, and I'm on, on location on Lake Huron in Oliphant, Ontario, Canada. The reading is from the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 to 31. Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And talking with each other, about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? who does not know the things that, that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed, and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. On the road again, going places that I've never been, seeing things that I may never see again. I can't wait to get on the road again. On the road again. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The famous preacher, Dr. Lloyd-Jones, remembered preaching in Wales one Sunday in the early 1930s. He was preaching an afternoon and an evening service at a small country church. 
two of the ministers in the area came up to him after the service and asked him if, they if he would make a visit. It was a tragic case, the local schoolmaster. He was a fine man, one of the best church workers in the district. He got into a very sad situation. He'd given up all of his church work, just managed to keep going to his school, going to work, doing that task of work with no church life or activity. Well, what's the matter with him, Dr. Jones asked. They said he's depressed, he complains of headaches and pains in his stomach, and so on. Jones agreed to meet with him, and after he had his afternoon tea, the schoolmaster came to see him. You look depressed, Dr. Jones said. Now tell me, what's the matter? Well, the man said, I get these headaches. I'm never free from them. I can't sleep very well. I wake up in the morning and I'm tired and I also have gastric pains. Tell me, how long have you been like this? Jones asked. Oh, it's been going on for years, since 1915. Well, what happened in 1915? How did you get this way? Well, the man said, the war broke out in 1914. I volunteered early. I was assigned to a submarine that was sent to the Mediterranean. One afternoon, we engaged in action and submerged, and the submarine had a thud, and we just all shook, and we were hit by a mine and sank to the bottom. I've never been the same. Well, Jones said, please tell me the rest of the story. But there's really nothing more to say. I'm just telling you that's how I've been ever since that happened to me in the Mediterranean. But my friend, I'd really be interested to know the remainder of the story. I've told you the whole story, the man said. And they went back and forth. Please tell me the rest of the story. I've told you the rest of the story. And they did that for some time until John Jones said again, now I would really like to know the whole story. Start again from the beginning. And so the man told the story again. It was 1914. The war broke out. He volunteered for the Navy, was posted in a submarine that was sent to the Mediterranean. They engaged in action. There was a sudden thud and shaking, and they went down to the bottom of the Mediterranean. And he's been like this ever since. Go on. Well, there's nothing more to be said. Are you still at the bottom of the Mediterranean? Jones asked. Physically, he wasn't, but mentally, he was. He'd stayed at the bottom ever since. You've told me the story, and it seems that you've remained at the bottom of the sea. You didn't tell me how you were rescued, how you came back to the surface. Did another ship see you? Did they get hold of you and bring you back to England and put you in a hospital? The man told him that part. Why didn't you tell me that, Jones asked. You stopped down at the bottom of the Mediterranean. It was because he was dammed up in his mind and he suffered from depression. Well, after this conversation, the man found himself restored. He resumed his duties at the church and became involved again. And within a year, he had applied for ordination in the uh, Anglican Church of Wales. The men on the, in the Emmaus story were in a similar way. It was Sunday. Jesus was crucified on Friday. They had heard that he was risen, 
or that he wasn't there, but they weren't sure yet what to believe. And so they're on the road and they're sad and they're confused and they're still dealing with all of the emotions that they've had since Friday. They're walking to Emmaus. Luke tells us that the journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus was seven miles. Now, there's some question about the length of the journey. Different manuscripts say different things. And some say that really it was a 20-mile journey. Um, But for the sake of this sermon, let's go with what Luke says, and that's seven miles. Now, the best manuscript traditions say that Emmaus was 60 stadia from Jerusalem, and stadium was 600 feet. 60 stadia would be 7.5 miles. Now, that's about the distance from here to Great Lakes Crossing. A walk there would be two and a half miles, two and a half hours. It's safe to say that back in, a back-and-forth trip to Emmaus from Jerusalem would have been possible in one day. So the two disciples are on the road, and they're walking to Emmaus. One of them is named Cleopas, and we don't know the other disciple's name. We don't know why they're going to Emmaus. Emmaus doesn't seem to be a significant place. We don't hear of it in other uh, spots in Scripture. Were they going home? Were they going to work? Were they just trying to get away? Frederick Beekner interprets Emmaus as the place we go to in order to escape. It's a bar, a movie, wherever it is that we throw up our hands and say, let the whole darn thing go hang. It makes no difference anyway. Emmaus may be buying a new suit or a new car or smoking more cigarettes, more cigarettes than you really want to, or reading a second-rate novel or even writing one. Emmaus may be going to church on Sunday. Emmaus is whatever we do or wherever we go to make ourselves forget that the world holds nothing sacred, that even the wisest and bravest and loveliest decay and die, that even the noblest ideas that people have had, ideas about love and freedom and justice, have always in time been twisted out of shape by selfish people for selfish needs. It's a bit of a dreary idea that Beekner had, but that's the state that Cleopas and the other disciple were in. We can assume that they were a part of Jesus's inner circle, And so as they walk, they're feeling defeated, they're talking, they're remembering and processing like we do often when something awful happens. They're recounting it and remembering all the details, going over it and over it again. As they walked, they're joined by someone. Now we know that it's Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus. And he asks what they're talking about. They stop, they're shocked because he doesn't seem to know what's just happened. He has no idea. He must be the only one in the world who didn't know about Jesus. And so they tell the stranger about him. They tell him about Jesus, who was a prophet, mighty in word and deed, they said. But those in power had crucified him. They share their disappointment, how defeated they feel. They thought Jesus was the one to redeem Israel. And furthermore, the women have gone to the tomb and they found it empty and there were angels there who appeared to them and that said that Jesus had risen. But when the men went, they didn't see anything. So now not only are Cleopas and the other deflated and sad, they're scared 
and uncertain because the body's gone and they don't know what to believe. Is it any wonder they would be going to Emmaus to escape? We all have our Emmaus places. What's yours? Where do you go to escape? Did any of Beekner's suggestions resonate with you? For me, it's a beach read. I like to read a book that is totally just silly, just lets me escape and fantasize and is not really use my brain. <laughs> I like to read books that are silly that um, just feel like vacation. Or sometimes I get caught up in a Netflix show and I binge watch it. Really anything that I don't have to use my brain for. But if I'm really honest, when I've had a difficult funeral to do or I've been feeling just low and sad about something going on in my life, I sleep in order to escape. But Cleopas and the other disciple don't really end up escaping because Jesus draws them in. As they walk, he reminds them of what it's all about. He starts to remind them of their faith, of their history, starting with Moses and going through all the prophets, and he brings it alive to them. And they, too, come alive, excited by what he's telling them, so excited that they want him to stay with them in Emmaus. And so he does. And then there it is. In the context of a meal, Jesus breaks the bread and they realize it's him, and he disappears. They are stunned, but not totally, because they can look back and see how he brought them joy, so much that their hearts were burning as they walked and their faith returned. Isn't that just like Jesus? To meet them on the road of despair and restore their hope and joy? That's Jesus for us. He gets that sometimes we're stuck in grief and fear and sadness and guilt and shame, lost in what's going on in our lives, what's going on in the world. And he knows what we need in order to move forward. He walks with us, helping us to get unstuck so that we don't stay in that Good Friday place where we have no way to believe in resurrection, to believe in the resurrection promise of the new, of hope and triumph and possibility. I don't think it was just happenstance that the disciples recognized Jesus in the breaking of the bread. That's the whole reason Jesus gave us the gift of communion. He knew that there would be times when we are stuck, when we need to see Jesus, when we need to remember that we are loved, that Jesus died for that love and rose again and is, within, is with us today. He knew in our world of concrete that we would need something physical to help us to remember, to help us to connect with him. And so we find him in communion. But we find him in other ways too. In the preacher who won't stopping, stop saying and tell me what happened next, what's the rest of the story. In the friend who walks with us when we are stuck, in the stranger who we keep bumping into at the hospital who becomes a bright spot in the day, in the teacher who never gives up on us, in the doctor who tells us that they're praying for us, in the parent who fights relentlessly for their child, in the, in the counselor who asks just, right, just the right questions, in the devotion that reminds us of Jesus' triumph over suffering, and in the church member who brings us soup when we're going through a hard time. 
Jesus is walking with us. We just don't always recognize him until we do. And we know that it is he who got us unstuck, who birthed hope in us again, reminding us that we don't have to walk our roads alone. Now, we don't know what happened to Cleopas and the other disciple after their Emmaus journey. I suspect that they went on to tell the story of Jesus with joy as they testified to his power and how he got them unstuck and how he can get us unstuck so that we too can live in hope. Because that's what happens when Jesus meets us on the road. We can't but help sharing his love and the way we treat people and the things that we do and the stories that we share as we testify to the way he helped us get unstuck and brought us joy and hope again. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday Worship Service from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.